Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program, which today is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. The hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. They grow in excitement and in anticipation. This weekend is no different. Two of the sport's most respected fighters are stepping into the ring Saturday night, and there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook. They're America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a shot at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's bet $1.00. And if the fighter of your choice wins, you cash $55. Plus, with basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code TBPN when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when they place a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, this is episode 34 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. What do we have for you today? Actually, we have something very special today. We are going to add a new feature, periodic. We'll see how it works out, see how you like it. Um, We're going to call it Across the Floor. Uh, We are going to talk to the guys who do the Knicks Rewind podcast, which is also a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. Grizzlies on Monday night will play the New York Knicks, so we want to get the latest intelligence on the New York Knicks. And then I'm going to give them some intelligence about the Memphis Grizzlies for their show as well. So we're going to do a little little cross-pollination, as it were. And uh, so we'll talk about the Grizzlies and the New York Knicks. Obviously, we'll talk about that was the week that was, which is something that we always do on this show. PD's points, give you an update on where the Grizzlies are right now. And then we'll get back to Jared Greenberg, part two of our conversation with the studio host and sideline reporter for Turner Sports and NBA TV, Jared Greenberg. That is all coming up. On today's edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, episode number 34. So let's get to that was the week that was. Since our last visit, Grizzlies have played two games against the Orlando Magic at Memphis and then in Orlando. You look at Orlando and they came into the game on Friday night in Memphis, 19-43 on the year. Michael Carter-Williams. Not playing. Markel Fultz, not playing. Jonathan Isaac, not playing. Otto Porter Jr., not playing as well. All of them injured, and Terrence Ross, the human torch who has shot down the Grizzlies multiple times, out with back spasms. Chuma Okiki, a a player who has really grown for the Orlando Magic, and, and they really, really like his upside, also not available due to his sprained left ankle. The game Friday night, in NBA parlance, we would call it a rock fight. The final score was 92-75. Grizzlies get the win to get the 32-30 and 30 on the year, but they shoot 34%. They hold Orlando to 31.4% and 23% from three. Not a lot of offense in this particular basketball game. The first quarter, Magic led it 20-19. They led it at halftime 43-39. Grizzlies finally found their offensive footing in the third quarter. Dylan Brooks and the Grizzlies put up 36 in the third quarter, and they were able to take 
a uh, big lead into the fourth quarter and then get it to the clubhouse. 92-75 was the final. This was not a pretty game. Uh, Grizzlies just not really getting their offensive act together, and it was very, very frustrating when you consider how well they played in Portland and not playing well offensively, certainly in this game. Um, You shoot 28% from three, 34% overall. The one saving grace for the Grizzlies in this game, they only turned it over nine times. Meanwhile, they forced 20 turnovers from the Orlando Magic, leading to 20 points. So Orlando shoots a season-low 31%, 23% from three, and they turn it over 20 times. There is no way that you can win a basketball game with those types of numbers. And so the Grizzlies' offense wasn't great, but their defense was certainly good enough to get the victory in the Grizzlies on Friday night in Memphis, get to 32-30. and 30. They send Orlando to their 44th loss of the season, Magic 19-44. and 44. So now you go to Orlando on Saturday. And even though the Grizzlies have struggled somewhat, particularly defensively in making three-point shots on the second night of back-to-backs, this is an Orlando team that is just not going to have anybody available uh, because then James Ennis, who had been battling a sore calf, he is not available to the Orlando Magic on Saturday night. So you go to Orlando. Grizzlies have not had a real strong track record of winning games in Orlando, but you think, come on, this Orlando team, they're not playing for anything. Half of their roster is is injured. This is an Orlando team that has lost, at last count, 337 games to injury, far and away the most in the NBA. They have started, or started on Saturday, their 31st different lineup of the season. You would think the Grizzlies, this this would this would be one you could get. You'd be wrong, unfortunately, as the Grizzlies lost on the Cole Anthony buzzer-beating three with one-tenth of a second, 112-111. to Grizzlies had a 20-point lead in this game in the third quarter, could not get it to the clubhouse. Orlando outscored the Grizzlies 36-26 in the fourth quarter, and Cole Anthony... Look, those of you who watch the telecast know that Brevin and I do have a fondness for guys who play more than one year of college basketball. Normally, they are more prepared to get into the NBA and be productive right off the jump. Cole Anthony is an exception to that rule. He's a one-and-done who really, really, and truly does belong in the NBA. 26 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals for Cole Anthony, and the moxie to make a falling-away, sideways, 3-point shot over Kyle Anderson to win the ball game 112 to 111. Grizzlies actually defended the play pretty well. And the look that Cole Anthony made, probably nine times out of ten, he's not going to make that. But he did make this one. And the Grizzlies, this is, I'm not going to mince any words here. It was their worst loss of the season. When you consider what you are trying to do here, which is to qualify for the playoffs or at least the play-in tournament, and you don't have a whole lot of games remaining. You cannot give up 20-point leads on the road to teams that have half their roster in street clothes. But the Grizzlies just didn't didn't handle their business late. Uh, the Grizzlies did not get strong performances from the bench. They had three bench players, seven each. Jaron Jackson Jr. continues to struggle somewhat, seven and seven from him. They got seven from Tyus Jones. They also got seven from DeAnthony Melton, whose shot has uh, suddenly disappeared. And so the Grizzlies end up losing this ball game. Dylan Brooks had 23, Ja had 22, Kyle Anderson had 21, had one of the better games I think he's played all year long. But the Grizzlies do not get the win, and they fall to 32 and 31. And we'll talk about the ramifications of that. We'll talk about the standings coming up in a little bit in Petey's points. But the Grizzlies, back-to-back games against Orlando, you looked at the schedule, you looked at the roster, and you certainly had this penciled in 
as back-to-back wins for the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies did not play well in the first half of the game in Memphis and certainly were playing with fire until they finally figured things out in the third quarter. Uh, So, you know, they didn't play well, but they played well enough against a shorthanded team. And then they go down to Orlando and just messed with the game a little too much. And they got burned 112-111. Orlando gets their 20th win of the season, the Grizzlies 32-31. and coming out of the weekend as they return home to take on the New York Knicks on Monday night. And that is, that was the week that was. As far as PD's points for today's program, basically, number one, this Grizzlies team only has nine games left to figure things out. You know, is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to start at some point? And I understand that you're trying to keep Jaron's minutes total to around 20 to 25 maybe at a max and as you want a starter to be able to play 30 32 maybe even as many as 36 minutes in a big ball game I don't think I'm I'm just guessing here because Jaron's minute total has been right into the low 20s I'm guessing that the Grizzlies don't feel comfortable extending him beyond 25 26 minutes to a point where he could play 30 is that why he is not starting I don't know but you only have nine games left Presumably, he's going to be in the starting lineup either for the play-in tournament or the playoffs, whichever, uh, however that works out. At what point do you put him into the starting lineup? Because you need to start pointing toward the postseason. You also need to start winning games. And one of the things about this Grizzlies team, and brings me to Petey's point number two, is that for the last couple of years, the Grizzlies have been among the league leaders in losing double-digit leads. Lost a 20-point lead earlier in the season at the Lakers. Granted, first quarter, it's the Lakers. It's on the road. I get that. But to lose a 20-point second-half lead against a depleted Orlando team is really problematic. One of the things that Dylan Brooks talked about after the game, he said, well, our rotations are different. Um, you know, we're, we're not paying attention to the game plan. We're not making the plays when we need to make the plays. These are the things that are very, very concerning. They're concerning, they're understandable given the relative youth of this basketball team. Tim Frazier's 30 years old, but he's not playing. Everybody else on the team is 28 years of age or younger, and it is a truism in the NBA game that you lose a lot of games with youth. And I don't know if it was the Grizzlies taking their eye off the ball, but we've seen it now where they had an opportunity to put away the New York Knicks. Didn't do it. Uh, Played a depleted Clipper team. Didn't do it. Uh, played a very depleted Orlando team that a night before had shot, you know, 32% from the floor and and could not hold on to a 20-point lead. These things are very concerning. It's not to say that they can't be corrected, but you only have nine games left, and you do have one of the easiest schedules coming in after the Grizzlies play the Knicks. I think they're only going to play one other team uh, in Dallas that is above them in the standings. They're going to have an opportunity to handle their business down the stretch. But let's take a quick look at the standings to give you an idea of what the Grizzlies are looking at. Right now, the Grizzlies, as we record this, are a game above 500 at 32 and 31. They're a half game ahead of Golden State and San Antonio, who are both right at 500 even. Then you go to New Orleans. New Orleans is three games out of a play-in berth. I don't know that New Orleans catches anybody at this point. Maybe they do, but they're going to have to get hot. They're also going to have to discover defense. Grizzlies have one more game against them. Can the Pelicans move up in there? You would like to think that with a a three-and-a-half game cushion, 
the Grizzlies would not fall to 11th and then not even be involved in the play-in scenario. But you looked at what happened on Saturday night in Orlando, and you know that anything is possible. I mean, the Grizzlies, you know, this is what is so frustrating, I think, for so many fans, is how do you figure this Grizzlies team that can go into Portland, win two on the road in Portland, and then come home against Portland, and then just really, really not be very good at all, then take care of business against Orlando, and then go to Orlando, and then blow a 20-point lead. This team is all over the map, and that's the thing that is really concerning I think for Grizzlies fans because you just don't know what's going to happen next and part of that is the rotations are changing and I understand that you want to because now you have more healthy players than you have had at any other time in the season you want to figure out exactly what you got problem is you only have nine games left and you need to win games you need to win games and it doesn't matter if the teams are below you in the standings it does not matter if teams like Detroit Minnesota who are coming up on the schedule are not even in consideration for the play-in tournament. You need to handle your business. That, to me, is the biggest thing for this basketball team. They had been road warriors. They had done a really good job on the road. But Saturday night, they took their eye off the ball. And a very hungry Orlando team and a very talented rookie in Cole Anthony took advantage, and they end up winning the basketball game. So don't want to sound the alarm, but these are all big games. It's not just the Knicks game. It's not just the Dallas game. These are all important games for the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies play the Golden State Warriors in San Francisco, last game of the regular season. It could mean the difference between 8 and 9, which means if you're 7 or 8, you only have to win one game. If you're 9 or 10, you got to win two games. There is a lot on the line, but even before that Golden State game, the Grizzlies have to take care of business, or otherwise this could be a more disappointing season than it would be otherwise. You're listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network, brought to you today by Garner Framing Company. And they ask if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, the answer is yes. Here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing their framing consultations right now by appointment at 901-685-7796. New feature on the program today. Uh, we are going to talk to the hosts of the Knicks Rewind podcast, which you can find on the Basketball Podcast Network as well. Of course, the Grizzlies taking on the New York Knicks on Monday night. First game went down to the wire. Grizzlies make their free throws. They probably win the basketball game. But the Knicks took the win in the first meeting between these two teams. We talk about meeting number two between the two teams and what's gone right with the New York Knicks this year. All right, we're talking with Johnny Kervin and Owen Smith from the Knicks Rewind podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. And uh, you guys can jump in uh, however you want to go ahead and answer this. Just, just give me give me the state of the Knicks because they started this great run really with that win over the Grizzlies that I know a lot of people in Memphis said, hey, if you make your free throws, we don't have to worry about this. But uh, the Knicks got the win that night. Well, yeah, Owen, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, things are great. Um, as good as they've been at Madison Square Garden in probably eight or nine years, I'd say, since 2012-13. We were the second seed. And I don't know. The team is just playing really well. Um, they're scoring like they haven't in a really long time. I think over the past 
15 games, we're second or third in the NBA in offensive rating, um, which is incredibly surprising. And, you know, we have a lot of really good shooting. Um, Randall is obviously quietly turning himself into an MVP candidate um, and a guy who should be an all-NBA player. And other than that, um, the team is just playing really well overall, Um, really playing cohesive basketball. They play a very good team defense. They don't have a lot of outstanding individual defenders. You can point to a guy like Nerlens Noel. Um, But other than that, they just play really well as a team. And everything is just feel like it's coming together at the right time just before the playoffs. And this is the best I've really ever seen this team play, ever. That's Owen Smith. Johnny, I'm going to ask you, is it is it all on Tom Thibodeau this this improvement this year? I mean, obviously Julius Randle's having a career year, but do you lay most of the success for the New York Knicks season at the at the feet of Tom Thibodeau? I would definitely give most of it to Tibbs, but I don't think it's all because you got to give the players some of the credit. You know, they they worked hard in the offseason, and Julius Randle talked about how he was fuming from the ears when he was watching pe- the teams in Orlando when he was just sitting at home, and you know he really worked on his game and. I thought, you know, Leon Rose bringing in these role guys like uh, Nerlens Noel has been outstanding in Mitchell Robinson's absence and uh, Alec Burks and just these guys who can score and provide uh, and just and work well under this Tibbs system. And obviously bringing in Derrick Rose for a second round pick and Dennis Jr. Derrick Rose has just been outstanding off the bench. So I think a lot of it is roster construction uh, with, you know, Rose. I think a lot of it is um, the guys working in the offseason and our young guys getting a, a year older. And but I th- yes, I think most of it is it really is Tibbs. So Owen and Johnny, you guys are obviously big Knicks fans. How satisfying has it been for this year? Because it has been such a dry spell for the Knicks for so long. I mean, I, w- what's it like in the city when, when the Knicks are now relevant again? It's honestly yeah, it's it, it's really fun. I mean, we we went to the uh, we played Phoenix on Monday, and Johnny and I went to the game and. Even with, I think we're 10% capacity right now, it feels like the stadium is full. Like you can just feel the excitement about the team, which is really rare. I mean, people have always gotten excited about the Knicks. Like we got little glimpses of excitement when Porzingis was playing well and the team would kind of like flirt around the playoffs for a little bit and then just fall off toward the end of the year. And that really hasn't been the case. And, and honestly, you can feel the excitement about it in the city. Like we're always on the front page of the paper. Um, everyone's always talking about us on Twitter. ESPN's always talking about us. Um, not always positive, but that that's a good thing for us. Uh, it means we're playing well. It's so. funny too, because Owen and I both live in Brooklyn, but you don't hear a word about the Nets. It's really weird because, yep. you know, you would think bringing in three superstar players that would be all the talk, but that's the talk of everyone outside of New York City. So it's been it's it's been pretty great to watch a bit of a revitalized city. It feels because everyone cares about the Knicks basketball here. I mean, it's the biggest, biggest thing here. Yeah, that, that is amazing. You guys live in Brooklyn and yet nobody's talking about the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn. But it's, the conversation is all about the New York Knicks. Another guy who played really well when when the Grizzlies and the Knicks met was Emmanuel Quickly. And, you know, I had not had a lot of exposure to him before that game, but certainly we got an eyeful looking at him. Give us a sense of what his rookie season has been like, and it has it exceeded your expectations? I'll, t- I'll take this one on if, if that's cool. Definitely exceeded expectations because, you know, being uh, a late first-round draft pick, you don't really expect a whole lot of contributions, but he's been phenomenal off the bench. Obviously, being only 21, up and down, he uh, up and down, like in terms of shooting percentages and games, like he'll go one for 11 
but then he'll just provide then, but the day after he'll provide a spark with Derek Rose and hit three straight threes. He's like, now he's now shooting where Dame and Steph shoot. So it's, it's funny to watch his growth over this year. There's definitely some things he needs to get bigger. Uh, he's somewhat of a, he works hard on defense, but just size limitates him some, uh, sometimes, but yeah, he's been so fun to watch. Uh, so I've been really happy. Oh, and you have anything else you wanted to add on? He's, he's a special shooter. Like that's, the best thing I'd say about him is he he can shoot from anywhere. I mean, he, he can stretch the defense out so far and he makes such a positive impact on us with us on the floor because of his shooting and just gives us so much space. And, and he's honestly just so energetic the way he plays and just always feels like he's positively impacting the game. And, and I'm he's, completely surprised. All year. He's the perfect spark plug, you know, him and Derek Rose, when they come off the bench, they, uh, they really go on runs and it's a game changing duo backcourt. We're visiting with Johnny Kervin and Owen Smith of the Knicks Rewind Podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. This is the Grizz Weekly Grind. What about Derrick Rose, and what has he meant to this team? Because sometimes you get veterans, they get long in the tooth, and they just want to be the guy, and they don't really accept their their bench role. But uh, Derrick Rose certainly has, and certainly has a level of comfort with Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I, I think... Rose played with the Knicks for a year and uh, I think 2016 to 2017 and the season was a disaster. Um, I think we went like 31 and 51 and Rose was probably a big part that negatively impacted the team. And he came back and had the opportunity to come back to the team and play for Tibbs again and really seemed like he took uh, a completely different approach coming back and it's really showed on the court. Um, he's one of our most positive players on offense and defense. He works really hard. He gets everyone involved and I think our record when he plays is we're like 18 and seven or like 19 and seven. And I don't know, that just speaks to how well he's um, or how, how well he's um, been able to be included into this group and how well he's fit into this group. And he's just nothing but positive things to say about him. He's been awesome. And also off the court, I think he's had a huge impact. You know, I'm not with the team, obviously. I'm just, um, but I've heard that he's always mentoring quickly, as we were just talking about. He's great on the court and off the court with Obi Toppin, who's had a mostly down few ups rookie season. Um, but yeah, he he's been just he's been a great pickup. Last question for you guys: Obviously, a tremendous amount of excitement about about the Knicks in New York, even in Brooklyn um, and around the country. So right now, I think they would have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. So this has been a renaissance season for the Knicks. People are excited in a very positive way about the Knicks. How far do they need to go for Nick fans to say, ah, this, this is really fantastic. Do they have to win a first round series? Do they have to win two series. How far do they have to go for fans to go like, wow, the, the Knicks are really and truly back. I, I think, I don't think we have to win a series. I don't think we will win a series just like being unbiased and step, taking myself out of the Knicks picture. I don't see us beating a lot of these other teams just because of, you know, like I don't see us beating Boston or even some, maybe Atlanta, but uh, I think as long as we compete, we've, we do what we did all year, make it tough on teams and just play like that gritty nineties Knicks basketball that we've seen all year. Like, I think even if you lose in six, you know, you're like, we had such a great year. It was so fun. Every game felt like it counted and we haven't had that feeling in, and so long. So, you know, Forever, it, it seems. Yeah. yeah. It, so even though, even if we don't go deep in the playoffs, even though I would love, like love to win a first round series, it's not my expectations. Um, I don't think it's something that 
the city needs to be like, all right, now the Knicks we're back. I already, I think we already feel like we are back. Yeah. No, I think I, to piggyback off what Johnny said, I think if we get swept in the first round, obviously we'd be disappointed, but I think a couple weeks later, I think we'd look back on the season as a major success. And I think if we get first round um, home court advantage, I think we should win that series. I think we should beat Atlanta. We're three and zero against them this season. And I think Boston is not the team that they have been the last couple of years. So, I mean, games like Memphis is that's a huge one for us because we have a brutal West stretch coming up. And I think, I really think if we have home court advantage, we have a really good shot to, to make it to the second round. And it's a big game for the Grizzlies, particularly having given up that one Saturday night in Orlando guys. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And, uh, Good luck to the show and good luck to the Knicks with the exception of uh, Monday night when they take on the Grizzlies. Thank you, Pete. We appreciate bye. it. Yeah, bye. Well, that was a fun visit with the guys from the Knicks Rewind podcast. Again, you can find their podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And for them and for this show, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. If there's anything that you want to hear about on the podcast, my DMs are open on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Pete Pranica, very easy, P-E-T-E-P-R-A-N-I-C-A. Let me know if there's something that you'd like addressed during an upcoming edition of the podcast, and we are happy to do that because that's the kind of people that we are here at the Grizz Weekly Grind. Another friend of the program, this is part two of a very good conversation I had with Jared Greenberg. Jared Greenberg has been a reporter and an anchor for Turner Sports, NBA TV, and TNT. Also spent some time as a host on Sirius XM NBA Radio. And this is part two of our conversation. We talk about some of the teams that have been disappointing so far this year. And we also talk about some of the thrills about uh, working with former NBA stars that once upon a time, maybe you hung their poster on your door and now you get to work with them. So here's our friend of the program for today, Jared Greenberg. Talking about disappointing teams, I love Stan Van Gundy. I, I, I think he's a great guy. I, I love his – I just love the way that he coaches. But that New Orleans team, they have to be better than what their record indicates. I mean, what's – what's what's they, they can't defend, I guess, number yeah. one. What, what's going on in New Orleans? Because they, they should be better than, than where they are. Yeah, I think that's the biggest surprise for a Stan Van Gundy team is that they're 27th in defensive rating right now. That's – you know, you, you would think maybe they would struggle offensively because he'd be so – you know, uh, locked into how the defense is. Um, I think I think a bunch of things. You know, I think I, I circle back to the beginning of our conversation about the Memphis Grizzlies that we are in such a rush to have teams and players reach expectation um, prematurely, and I think I, I'm with you. Like they have underachieved, and I don't think anybody in the New Orleans organization would disagree with that statement, right? But with that, I think that doesn't mean that Zion is a complete bust or Brandon Ingram isn't leading, uh, living up to a max contract or that Stan Van Gundy or David Griffin need to be on the hot seat. Now, if we're having the same conversation a year from now, maybe. But I think, you know, again, just like a lot of other teams, um, there is – an incredible amount of inconsistency in lineups, players injured coming and going, and, and some teams have dealt with that better than others. Not, a, not, not an excuse, but that's the way it is. And then I think you're also dealing with a situation where we've seen it a couple of times, especially late in games, where it, it took 
the coaching staff a while to put the ball in Zion Ingram, uh, Zion, pardon me, Zion Williamson's hands and make him the point guard to initiate offense. And I think late in games, they have issues figuring out who should get the ball. There have been a couple of instances, and I, it just I want to throw throw my head through a brick wall when I'm watching the game, where Ingram or Zion in a one possession or two possession game in the last minute doesn't touch the ball in a possession, and it just makes makes your head explode with, you know, and 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 that can't be on Stan, right? Like, yes, ultimately the coach is held accountable, but he he's also got to be saying to the guys in the locker room, like, what what, what more do you want me to do? Than put these guys on the floor. I drop a play, and I I understand defenses adjust. But if you can't find a way to get the ball in Zion or Brandon's hands, then then you can't be on the court. So I think a lot of that. But but again, I go back to the patience that we are don't want to have. Yeah, we're we're um, lack, we're lacking in patience. This is yeah. This is, yeah. This, is this is the microwave society. We want it right. and we want it now. Yeah, you have thrived with Turner Sports. NBA TV and TNT as a sideline reporter. And so much of sideline reporting is contacts. It's information, it's personal relationships. And in the COVID era, that's really, really hard to come by. How hard has it been for you? What workarounds have you had to devise in order to get the information that you need to host a studio show and to provide the insight and analysis analysis that you do on a daily basis? Yeah, it's, it's probably been the most challenging uh, period. And especially in terms of a sideline role, I I've been sidelined. <laughs> um, you know, I was scheduled to be on the, the Tuesday night package on TNT this season and possibly doing some, some Thursday night games as well. And, and Turner as a company, Warner media and AT&T, our, our parent company made, made the ultimate decision that none of us were going to travel this year for, for safety reasons. And um, even if we were to travel this year, there's no in-person contact with players or coaches. You know, being in the bubble for three months, I think, was was an interesting experience. I got to meet some other people and build relationships that way, which I think were really good. But you're right. it's It's been tough. Um, again, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me because, you know, thankfully, I still have a job. And I know a lot of people out there lost their job over the last year plus and are, are struggling here, but um, you know, our, my, my goal every night, whether I'm doing a studio show or I'm at a game is, is to deliver something to the fan who's on their couch or at a bar, hopefully, you know, soon at a bar um, and give them something entertaining and give them something thought provoking um, you know, the, that, that I would enjoy if I was sitting on the couch and I'd want to hear from a broadcast which is why I love listening to you and Brevin so much because of how great you guys are. But I, it, it's just been, I, I don't have an answer to, to how we do it now. You know, there's a lot more text messages. A lot of them go unanswered. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a lot more of relying on the beat reporters who are in those local markets and making sure you're following their Twitter page and reading their articles and subscribing to a, a lot more, um, you know, websites or magazines than you have in the past and, and just trying to keep your head in the game as much as you can. You uh, mentioned earlier in our conversation working the studio with Isaiah Thomas. I know you grew up more of a baseball fan, but now you've been in the NBA for so long, and 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 I know that you have a great appreciation for the history and the great players, yeah. and you get to work with some of them on a daily basis. Is there ever a, a, a pinch me moment where you where you sit down at the anchor desk, you put in the IFB, you clip on the microphone, and you look and there's Isaiah Thomas, and you're like, 
I can't believe I'm doing a show with Isaiah Thomas. Well, I'll tell you, Pete, um, you know, I think in the studio, it's a little different because Turner, as you have gotten the opportunity to work with us several times and, and you, I, I hope to get the same sense of, of what a family it is and how disarming everyone is at Turner. Um, I think so different than, than any other place and not to knock any other networks, but I, I just feel like there, there's so much a, a sense of team and family. Um, you know, I, I remember within my first week at Turner back in 2012, Charles Barkley came up to me out of nowhere, tapped me on the shoulder and said, welcome to the family. And I thought at first it was just some cliche thing that somebody set him up to do. And then I quickly realized that that's not like he's kind of the leader. You know, he's our best player and everyone falls in line behind him and we take our cues from him. And while he could have the biggest ego and be the biggest prima donna in the world, he is the lowest of low maintenance human beings and is just a salt to the earth guy. And I think everybody understands that if, if Charles can act like a good guy, then everybody else has to act like a good guy. So it's really been, as I said, disarming um, being in studio for me. And I, I hope I, I would imagine you could relate growing up, wanting to be a sports broadcaster for me, the really pinch me moments have come being in arenas, working with broadcasters, that I grew up idolizing. Yes, I grew up massive NBA fan. Yes, I grew up, you know, uh, playing basketball and wanting to be like these guys. But but really, my, you know, I I understood real early in life I was never going to be in the NBA. That, that um, would make me that that's me too. <laughs> right. So working with Marv Albert and Ian Eagle, Ian especially, he started being my mentor when I was 14 years old, and having the the thrill of a lifetime to be on that Tuesday night TNT package with Ian the last year and then being in the bubble with him. Like he's my Michael Jordan, right? Like he's the guy that I grew up listening to that. I grew up taking notes while I was watching games, trying to figure out how to be like him, sending tapes to him, getting feedback from him. Um, you know, my version of recruiting tapes, if you will. So to, to work with those guys and be in an NBA arena and holding a TNT microphone or an NBA TV microphone, those are the pinch me moments that I, I will never, ever take for granted. Yeah, and, and that's something that I think all of us in this business, we always have to remind. I, want to, I don't want to say we always have to remind ourselves, but it is good to remember what a privileged position yeah. we have to be calling NBA basketball. And I got to work with Isaiah Thomas, not only on playoff games, but a summer league. And, and I will definitely second everything you said about Turner and, and the family atmosphere. I absolutely love working with the folks at Turner. So I get to do a playoff game with Isaiah Thomas. And I have to tell Isaiah the story that the very first NBA game I ever did was a preseason game at Sky Dome in Toronto before the Raptors even existed. <laughs> and it's Detroit against Utah in Skydome at a preseason game. And the starting point guard that day was Isaiah. Isaiah Thomas. Nice. You know, and to be able to work with a Hall of Famer right. and, you know, let, let, let's be candid. I mean, there, there are some people around who are not Isaiah Thomas fans. He could not have been a better broadcast partner, yeah. better traveling companion, and mm -hmm. uh, really, really, really so much fun to work with. Very enjoyable. But yeah. the one thing... The one thing, and, and, and you, I'm sure, have had to deal with this, you travel with Charles or Isaiah or any of these guys 
you got to go with security because and Isaiah will sign <laughs> Isaiah will sign every autograph, every, and autograph take every, yeah. every picture. And I, I would imagine Charles is the same way. So uh, and, and they they look at you and they're like, I think I remember that guy. <laughs> Do you get hit up for autographs and photographs all the time? <laughs> No, not like those guys at all. No, <laughs> Jared, it is so great to catch up with you. Hopefully uh, in person, maybe summer league in Las Vegas, we get a chance to work together again. Yeah. I really like that. Well, Pete, I can't thank you enough for reaching out and having me on here. As, as I've said to you and Brevin many times and, and Rob as well, um, you guys are among my favorite league pass watches. I will always pick you when I have the option of, of two broadcasts. Cause I think you guys do a true service to, uh, not just the Memphis Grizzlies, but but the the opponent as well uh, of really giving the viewer all the information they need and want, being entertaining, and and always filling us in on what the food situation is in Secaucus, <laughs> which 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 is something that Brevin has made up. And I did sit in the replay center one night, yeah. and Jason Phillips pointed to a table where they had some takeout Italian, and he said that's that's pretty much it every single night. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks again for the time, Jared. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate you. Man, that's a wrap for episode 34 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. Today's show has been brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, its mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com, and you can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. We thank them. We also thank Garner Framing Company and DraftKings Sportsbook for their support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 